0: Welcome back to the Hex Drinker's House of Commons, your one-stop shop for everything competitive and at the common rarity. Chev, you're looking lovely today. How are you feeling?
1: Why, thank you. I'm actually feeling pretty good. Julian, I've had a whirlwind of emotion since we, uh, we last spoke. And for the record, we last spoke about 10 minutes ago. It started on a bit of a downturn when I threw something out. Just as I remembered I hadn't put a new bag in the trash can. So that, was, that was a rough one. But then one of Julian's <laughs> packages from Card Kingdom of all the cards he's purchased for the Hexdrinker Olympics coming to you live in three weeks arrived at my doorstep. And I was able to look at some of the secret tech of Julian's running. And listeners, if you've thought about Svela in, in recent days and you're looking to make a Svela deck, PDH, EDH, what have you, and you want the correct tokens and you just can't find them blame julie because on his list he has ordered 25 icy manaliths
0: i bought all the ones that they had
1: the confidence of thinking i'm gonna have 25 icy manaliths how much mana that is that's 25 times 3 75 mana that you expect to be casting on your manaliths i'm excited to see if you can pull it
0: off ever since i made Spella. Uh, I have made it a point to corner the market on uh, Icy Manilow tokens. Man. Foil and non-foil. So, uh, <laughs> slowly but surely, I will... It's like Scrooge McDuck, right? He dives into his, his bath Except of yours money. Yours is I'm brittle just gonna... and
1: more like the, uh, the TwitchCon um, inflatable pit. Yeah, yeah precisely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a bit of a... Yes.
0: That's how I'm feeling. I'm glad that you're just in such high spirits, because we have a lot of cool things to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, as usual, we're going to talk about some community content. We're going to do a Deck of the Week, a PDC match that I got to uh, talk about. But first... About 10 minutes before 10 minutes ago, you and I were actually engaged in some combat with <laughs> the fellas over at the PDH pod. We were back on the Monday PDH stream.
1: It was a matchup for the ages. We had um, Brad on Killian, Lobbert on Alert Heedbonder, the Acoria uh, Vigilance Tribal Uncommon. Uh, I was playing Primaris Chaplin. I wrote the wrong thing in the notes because it's such a weird name, but it's Primaris Chaplin, one of the cards from the warhammer 40k decks and julian was up to some some stuff with tor wauke but a different different deck than last time julian there is a, a card that kept coming up in this build what what was it again
0: yeah i mean i don't know if coming up would be the right word more like it was it was constantly approaching but it never quite got there as we reach infinity i feel like this was something i learned in math about 10 years ago the limit does not exist, something, something. I guess we missed Mean Girls Day. Um, but uh, yeah, I have been absolutely in love with Tor Wacky recently. I uh, I played that initial PDH version a couple mm. weeks ago when we were there. I, spoiler alert, uh, made a budget version for EDH. And I also made this PDH version that tries to take advantage of Dragon's Approach. I was actually inspired by last week when we discussed the Possibility Storm game. There was a Dragon's Approach list in that game. I believe it was the Storm Skrillex list. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the uh, mana reduction, but I was like, this seems like something... If this is already viable in CPDH, I can't even imagine what it's going to do in regular PDH. And of course, the extra damage boost from torwacky pretty crazy. So yeah, I had 30 Dragons Approaches in my list, and I cast <laughs> a lot of them, and I was happy.
1: <laughs> there were quite a few cast. Uh Yeah, paying 3 mana, dealing 4 damage to every opponent is... Uh... It gets out of hand very fast, and especially towards the end of both games. A Spoiler alert, Julian won the first game, um, came very close to winning the second game. But mm-hmm. on, on some of those later turns, being able to pay six mana and deal eight damage to all of your opponents. Yes, you start with 30 life, but that, that goes away pretty fast.
0: <laughs> Once again, also Torwacky just getting that extra two damage uh, mm-hmm. two, two damage with lifelink that I right. can kind of yeah. just either attempt to clean up players or or clean up small creatures as well. It's been doing it for me. Now, I will say, my work was cut out for me because all three of the other lists, for whatever reason, had ridiculous amounts of life gain. Whether that was the uh, the Alert Heedbonder, who uh, I can I can forgive people for not knowing this card uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's something. But yeah, uh, Alert Heedbonder gaining often four or five life a turn. Mm-hmm. Chev, you drew the literal enchantment lifelink both games and yep. were consistently attacking for like five or six with lifelink. And then uh, Brad playing Killian in the first game had like three or four different extort creatures over the course of the game and was extorting a bunch, but also of course Killian has lifelink, so he was attacking for a bunch mm-hmm. and, and gaining. Yeah, I did win that first game, but I really I I don't know how. I thought it was gonna be way quicker than it was. It took it took a minute.
1: It, it took a minute there for sure. I think some of it was, you know, you have three Voltron decks and this kind of happened more in game one than game two, where game two, uh Lobbert was still on Alert Heed Bonder. I was still on Primaris Chaplain, uh, and we kind of domed each other a few times for a a, a quite a hefty amount of damage but in game Mm -hmm. one you've still got three Voltron decks three very large creatures swinging at everyone and yes you're gaining some life but between having probably at least one of the the big creatures hit you per turn and eight damage from dragon's approaches and in game one Julian you also had reckless fire weaver and uh, spear spewer online so yes a hefty amount of damage is being done regardless of life gain Mine was kind of capped at the number of creatures at, or as the power of Primaris, as uh, Alert Heed Bonders was kind of the number of Vigilance creatures on the field. So it wasn't completely insurmountable. It was basically added up to we could stomach one Dragon's Approach per turn, but then you had the audacity to play two or three and with pingers backup. So I think both games it would have been better to just kind of bap you in the head repeatedly, and I'm sure that'll happen as uh, Tor Wauki continues to show up in our pods, but... The, yeah. the the deck was very strong. I was it was very cool to to kind of see it in its
0: element. I liked all the decks. The decks were crazy. Mm-hmm. You explained last week that uh, Brad called you out on Twitter about Primaris Chaplain and stuff. I think your deck did what it needed to do. I think you uh I think you took it to him. You actually were able to get a Voltron kill in the second game.
1: Yes. Yeah. Primaris Chaplain. I built largely out of spite, but started to fall more and more in love with it as I was putting it together. Basically, 4-mana, uh, 3-3, three, three, whenever it attacks, it gets indestructible, and then it's got battle cry. But the indestructibility is really what I focus on with all kinds of artifacts and auras and equipments that, you know, care about when your creature attacks. And since your creature is always going to survive combat, you don't really have to worry about what it's swinging into. Uh, that being said, when you equip this thing with pro-white and someone's board is all white creatures, you can get a, a commander damage kill in pretty quickly. Uh, and that's what Primaris Chaplain was able to do. Gaining five life per turn, but taking six in the air from Lobbert's. It was it was some Griffin from I think like Portal A two three I think with Vigilance, but then it was equipped with these gives a creature plus four plus two, and they don't untap during an untap step, which in a Vigilance Tribal deck is pretty strong. Um, so mm. I think I think that one hit you a few times, but when I when I started dishing out uh, some very targeted attacks, it, it came for me as well. So gain five per turn, lose six is not how you really um, <laughs> survive a game for, for a long period of time. And although it wasn't Lobbert that took me out, it was instead a two-mana give Torwauki indestructible and then killing me off the, the cast trigger.
0: Well, listen, I was trying to get all of y'all, and then Brad had the nerve to... Uh, second game, Brad played uh, Risen Reef. Put a pin in that. I'm going to come back. Uh, <laughs> he, pl- he played Risen Reef. He had the nerve to negate my first Dragon's approach, and then you memory lapsed my second Laps of one certainty oh sorry La- yeah lapse of certainty right the overcosted white version of memory lapse which is a blue card Indeed. yeah so mm-hmm. i <laughs> had to i had to make do with what i was given i was gonna be able to uh kill chev i directed Tor- both my Torwacky triggers at him he happened to ha- his uh, uh, creature was tapped so i happened to attack him and then he was at two life and i was like well i've really been saving this protection spell i had had it for like five turns and i was just mm-hmm. holding it up just in case uh people came at Torwacky. but um I was like, "Well, I can't let them attack in game six, so I guess, <laughs> I guess I just have to raw dog this one."
1: I think my favorite moment of that game came right afterward, and it was the lapse of certainty puts the dragon's brooch on top of your library. You had a commander sphere out that you could sack to draw a card, get another one of those triggers out. But when you dealt damage to me, I had the initiative, and you were forced to look through your library for a basic, put it into your hand, and shuffle removing the uh, Dragon's Approach from Grasp. Yeah,
0: <laughs> now that you said that, I probably should have uh, Commander Sphered there. I don't know if it would have won me the game, but uh, I was like, oh wait, no, I, I wanted that. I really wanted that. I will say I got to cast like eight or nine Dragon's Approaches that game, which was great. They
1: just kept coming.
0: My opening hand was like four Dragon's Approaches, a Mana Rock, and two lands. <laughs> and I was like, yep, yep, I'm, go- I'm-, I'm good. Sochev, though, since we are technically a, a competitive popper podcast. Indeed. How did Primaris Chaplin hold up? Obviously, you didn't build it specifically to be competitive, but I, ha- right. I, I have an idea that, that you would want to be doing that sort of uh, voltron thing anyway. So do you think it can make the leap into the competitive world?
1: I think the biggest thing here is a. it would have to make a fight for why you would play Primaris Chaplin over Killian. So I can't remember if Killian has a list on the database. It, it grows by the day. I'm not For some reason, I think it might have an older one from uh, Papa Popper. When you have Killian that comes down for less, has relevant abilities in Lifelink and Menace that you'd want to be gifting with the enchantments, and has auras cost two less, I feel Primaris Chaplain could make an argument that it's more durable, because obviously indestructible is a very good keyword, um, but you're not going to be leaning too heavily into auras because that was one comment that brad made in game one is when you remove killian and all the auras that are attached to it all those auras are in the graveyard and common is not the best way to get them back Uh, there are plenty of ways around this and even as we saw in one of our own cpdh games where eric helmed a killian list and was able to kind of withstand anything we were throwing at it and with all the card draw creatures we've seen in white and black recently i i don't think primaris chaplain has what it takes to overtake killian 9 times out of 10. Now, mm. there's probably a place for two of Voltron decks on the list, but I think I would be remiss to, or I would be ignorant to really push Primaris Chaplain without really digging into how I can benefit off of this indestructibility and how this actually is more beneficial than Lifelink and Menace, especially when you have those white enchantments that tap down your opponent's creatures that on Killian essentially make it unblockable. If your creature's unblockable... You don't have to worry about indestructibility during combat. It's not going to die. So it, it's it's the kind of thing where there's enough out there and enough good Killian tech that I think Primaris Chaplain comes in just a close second. I'll probably be looking elsewhere first for a competitive list.
0: We do indeed have a Killian list in the database. It actually comes to us from Clay, of all people. Ooh. Unfortunately, it was last updated seven months ago. Clay, Clay, come on. get on it. Come on. Give the theater kid some love. You're going to be hit by Corey's script. <laughs> I think Killian's crazy. I mean, Killian was putting in some work like we were saying with Brad, that kind of got me thinking because I think that other than probably Alert Heat Bonder, sorry, uh, mm-hmm. I, I do think that all of these lists could be ported into CEDH. Uh, oh, sorry, CPDH. Mm-hmm. And um, Killian already has. Uh, but I think like you said, Primaris Chaplain would be like killing it at home. We've seen that Dragon's Approach can be good. I don't think Tor Wacky is the move. Uh, having a five mana commander like that, that right. uh, also, you know, it's in Rakdos, so it's not as good colors, but I definitely think a deck styled similarly to what I did, like maybe like the Storm of list or even something like a Goblin Electromancer. Yeah. If you can start casting multiple dragon pro- Dragon's Approaches a turn, two or three a turn consistently, and you're also, you get to play all the good blue draw that my deck was... Basically, Dragon's Approaches and the Black Draw spells so that I could draw into more Dragon's Approaches. Arguably, <laughs> things just get even better when you can do that in blue. Yeah. It overcomes the weakness of Burn decks, which is like, normally, you have to target one person. So, really, you have to do 90 life instead of 30 life.
1: Any last uh, uh, game commentary you want there, Julian?
0: I think the last thing is Brad's Risen Reef deck. Yeah. I think we have, we have seen that for something like CPDH, you can kind of just play simic whatever mm-hmm. and it will be good we've talked about risen reef in oakley's maelstrom wanderer elemental tribal deck and just how much value it accrues and uh, even though brad literally bricked on lands like the first three turns of the second game
1: first like four or five turns
0: yeah he, he he wasn't drawing lands he also like didn't have blue mana for a long time either but yeah he was able to just he had like 17 lands at the end of the game it was crazy and you can do that and then at, at one point he uh, actually he literally pitched like he had he had too many cards in hand so he discarded Peregrine Drake. And Chev and I looked at him. We were like, "What are you What are you doing with that right there?" I mean, I think that just kind of shows, like, yeah, you could easily just run all the standard yeah. Simic combo lines in that. And I think I'd have to look at the Elemental Pool, but I definitely think that uh, a Risen Reef deck could be could be viable.
1: I think you've got enough small bodies.
0: Although I think I would agree that like it would take a bit for me to run Risen Reef over something like like Landlord Weaver or like uh, yeah even even Tatiova.
1: Right, so. it would be you'd have to focus on those explosive turns. How many lands can you get out? Because like something like Tatiova, you draw the card and you gain life off of you know every land played. And some turns you're playing multiple lands, but probably most turns you're not. Whereas Risen Reef, depending on how many elementals you play, you can get a little explosive like that one turn we saw where cast a Mole Drifter for Evoke, drawing two cards, then ghostly flickered both Risen Reef and Mole Drifter to draw two more cards and get two more triggers for a total of three Risen Reef triggers, which at minimum draws him an additional three cards and at maximum would put three lands into play. And so that that was really the when the game turned around for, for Brad as well. So it's kind of yeah. just that that ability to come out of nowhere and continuously gain those resources led to higher and higher powered turns.
0: But anyway, we had a great time. Great yeah. games. Want to thank those guys. Um, definitely tune into the stream if you get a chance. They stream on Saturdays and Mondays. Correct. Brad has a, a thing where you can sign up and, and come in and uh, play with them. So do that as well. Chev will put the link in the description in the show notes, I guess. I don't know. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's, it's, on, uh, it's on Brad's uh, Lake tree, Brad Drac V on, uh, over on Twitter. You can sign up for both Saturdays and Mondays. Saturdays fill up relatively quickly so you want to look more in advance mondays are are a little chiller
0: hence why we are there
1: hence why we we are there enough about monday night pauper julian you you've played a a different type of uh pauper commander this week the pdc league uh how how did your games
0: go oh baby you know the meme not gonna lie they had us in the first half Uh, you know i was i was oh two i was feeling down but last week we talked about how i managed to pick up two more games and guess what your boy won again this week i am finally positive in the standings. Let's go. Three and two, right? Yeah, three and two. Three and two. I played against another prolific uh, contributor to the database and, and member of the community. Uh, X-R-L-Y-L-Y-L, or Z-R-L-L, mm-hmm. you know. Everyone knows him, right?
1: <laughs> Zurlil has really been showing up in the CPDH database. Kind of the first time that I, I had heard or seen from them was the Cormella list for New Capena. Uh, which is a a combo list that we discussed on the pod when it it first came out, the After Dark episode. And since Mm -hmm. then has really focused on bringing more combo-based decks uh, to CPDH so far from the the submissions I've seen. I I believe they come from CEDH, so that's kind of the, the mindset that they incorporate down to this level. But this wasn't any of those. This was Sprite Dragon.
0: Yeah, Sprite Dragon is uh, an interesting little card. Um all these all these red blue <laughs> decks, right? Yeah, so Sprite Dragon is a red and a blue for a one one flying haste. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you put a one one counter on that guy. So he can mm. get big uh real quick. Um actually, never mind I lied. It's actually a, a non creature spell, so he's 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 getting crazy for everything. Chev, you actually uh, you actually uh we played a couple test games just to test the matchup. Yeah. And um I'm not going to lie, it didn't look too good for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we played two test games, and uh, you lost both of them. Yes, you you kind of stopped me. Uh, Sprite Dragon can get really big really quick, which, mm-hmm. uh, as we remember from the Wilson game, is problematic for me. Um, also, Sprite Dragon is the first list that I've encountered that has counter spells. I always just assume my plays are going to resolve, <laughs> and I learned that uh, against Chev and also in a few times against... Uh, Zerl, that uh, no, I, I I need to account for the fact that sometimes that blue mana will actually prevent me from from doing my plays. Once again, had to coordinate some some crazy time zones, Zerl, over in Australia. So that was a. Uh...
1: We got quite an Australian uh, uh, crew playing the, these popper formats.
0: Yeah, let's get into the games. Uh, game one, pretty slow, pretty slow, frankly, um, slow slow in terms of development, but actually like very quick and snappy play. That's one thing that I really liked about uh, Zerl was just every turn. Bada bing, bada boom, bada boom. Gotta go, gotta go do the thing. So that was super cool. We kind of both just are staring at each other. Like I'm drawing a couple cards, he's drawing a couple cards. Uh, he also was very reluctant to play out Sprite in the beginning, uh, but eventually he just kind of starts throwing it. Uh, but I'm, luckily I'm always able to just kill it immediately um, because like I said, you know, that thing can grow very quickly, especially when he has more and more mana. He did mulligan down to five uh, and I am mull- mulligan to six. I remember I discussed that uh, beforehand, that like just so much more mulliganing. But then uh, he plays Opal Palace, which is kind of an innocuous (laughs) card, but it really honestly messed the entire game up. Because all (laughs) of a sudden, another thing is he has a lot of lands in his list. He has, I want to say, he has 39 lands, which is kind of crazy. I'm Mm -hmm. only playing 30. Um, (laughs) He was always hitting his land drop, so he could always cast Sprite Dragon. So eventually, he would just like play Sprite Dragon. I'd be like, okay, kill it. He'd be like, okay, next turn, play Sprite Dragon. Okay, kill it. He'd be like, next friend, play Sprite Dragon. And this is another thing, too, because I was using resources out of my hand, whereas he was just just casting his commander. So I I looked up, and I was like, wait, why do you still have seven cards in your hand? Um, But yeah, so he has Opal Palace, and since he can continually cast Sprite Dragon, now it's coming down as a 3-3, a 4-4, a 5-5, um, I think it came down as a, as a six, six, uh, uh-huh. finally, but like now, now it's costing me two cards to actually, uh, kill it. I was able to luckily go landfall, searing blaze plus spectacled, skewer the critics. Uh, it costs 10. He hits his land drop again. Gitu amplifier, uh, which has like whenever you cast a thing, get plus two plus so, oh. you know, you know, wow. this kind of, he was playing a bunch of those in addition, like kiln fiend that monster, right. and stuff. uh, he goes Gitu amplifier, ponder, uh, plus Teamer battle rage, and then he mana leaks his own team or battle rage and then pays the three for exact lethal <laughs> at 14, right? So it's Jeez. like each two have one base power ponder plus two up to three team battle rage uh, plus two up to five, but it would be doubled. And then he mana leaks it up to seven doubled 14. So yeah, game one uh, didn't go my way, but, 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 but game two, we actually each keep seven surprising. I am able to treasure cruise on turn like three or four uh, for one mana. And then Mystic Sanctuary getting it back. <laughs> and then I uh, Gelectrode, and I have mana open, so I go Expedite, attempt to draw into my Treasure Cruise. He casts Lava Dart from the grave, which you just sack a mountain. I was like, dang, that's that's bold. Uh, but I have the Crimson Wisps, which also gives haste and draws a card. So uh, I'm able to uh, kill one of his creatures. Gelectrode dies, unfortunately. I draw my card. Um, and then I Treasure Cruise again. So I got to double Treasure Cruise, which is pretty sick. And just remember, kids, Mystic Sanctuary is a fair card. <laughs> Uh, A little bit later, uh, I play Jalex again for five. He plays Reject, but I have enough mana to actually just pay the three. Uh, This was another game where we kind of were just staring at each other. He was much more reluctant to play Sprite Dragon at this point since I was able to kill it like every time last game. Right. He kills it again, and then I finally get to play it for seven, and he finally has no cards in hand. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is my moment. And then I, uh, he's still at twenty life, and I don't really have much in my hand, and I start drawing some lands. Uh, that was a little, little sketchy, um, but uh, I just continue to cast Electrode and cast the spells that I have. Uh, luckily, he, he's just not drawing anything either. Then I draw into Tandem Lookout, which is uh, Soul Bond, and then whenever the soul bonded creature deals damage to an opponent, not just combat damage, uh, you get to draw a card. And luckily, oh, I had so curiosity. Yes. Okay. Yes, so I tandem Lookout and I was like, all right. Now let's go. Ping you for one, draw a card, and he was like, All right, I've seen enough. Let's let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh that was actually the first time I've ever gotten to resolve tandem lookout. It feels good. It feels good.
1: It really does.
0: Contingent on the fact that he didn't have any cards in hand and you know, I had a million mana, so I could I could play everything, but uh yeah. And then we go to my first, my very first ever game three. All the other matches I've I've played have been uh 0 either in my favor or not. Off to a real good start, turn two, Kessig Flame Breather. Love to see it. Crazy interaction. I get to go Frantic Search into Fiery Temper, right? So Frantic Search, three mana, draw two, discard two, untap three lands.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I say, okay, I'm going to discard Fiery Temper, but I don't know if it works uh, because I played it on turn three. Mm-hmm. So the, the the question was basically, when you have to pay for Fiery Temper, has Frantic Search already resolved? And uh, another part of that was that uh, Frantic Search, is, it's two, two full sentences. So draw two, discard two. Then a separate sentence, untap. So it's like, how does that work? We found out that it actually does work uh, because you discard whatever madness card into exile, and then after the spell resolves, basically, you have the chance to... Right, it's not going to check for that Hmm. mid-resolution, and luckily, it all untaps, so then I can pay for it, um, kill his sprite dragon, which is sick. He gets more aggressive on the sprite. Again, I'm still able to uh, kill it every turn, and uh, eventually, I once again grind him down to no cards, and I have... um, flame breather plus Gelectrode plus um Goblin Electromancer um, and i'm drawing a nice good mix of draw spells and burn spells and i'm just able to basically shut shut everything down right 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 where i want to be right so that was a uh, game 3 went uh, to 2-1 against zerl with sprite dragon were there any takeaways from uh,
1: from this experience Besides the uh, the play by plays, <laughs>
0: I'm I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm it's almost like you were reading the uh, the show notes. Yeah, I I really liked his list. Kind of felt like a, a a merger of my list and the like Loyal Apprentice list. Doing a lot of attacking still, while also mm-hmm. playing that kind of tempo burn strategy that I'm really trying to to lean into. One of the crazy things was it it just it felt like he had way more inevitability than than I did, especially in game one. Uh, and normally I feel like that would be. That would be mine. Because, like, the last two games, you know, once I was able to kind of just lock things down, have the electrode plus, like, one other pinger out, right. I was like, okay, I can handle anything. But it just felt like he always had it. And um, him being able to just continually cast a Sprite Dragon and not have to use resources in his hand, whereas I was having to use burn spells to kill Sprite yeah, Dragon yeah. because it is such a threat. It really felt like a big part of it. And Sprite Dragon can just get out of hand so easily. Um, the games were super grindy. Uh, the other thing is that he had, like, four different spells that were, like, deal one damage to all creatures or all creatures mm-hmm. your opponents control or sometimes it was like modal it was like destroy target artifact or deal one to all creatures which obviously yeah. electro is an o1 firebrand archer is also a a 2-1 so it like kills a lot of my stuff and he killed electro like a bunch of times with that over the course of the things and um i was like why are you playing these what to me i was like these look like bad cards but now that i'm kind of thinking about it that might be some really good tech like i said like loyal apprentice is super prevalent all those tokens are one ones loyal apprentice is a 2-1 hmm there's just a lot of X ones in the format, and I'm I'm wondering if having a few of those in your deck, if you are red, is a, a good way to uh, have like an out to board swarm strategies um, and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that war Fiery Cannonade or the Dragon's Breath, like those ones that are, you know, deal two damage, but something that can just kind of wipe the board in a, a small but meaningful way.
0: The other thing about a lot of those one ones is, is it's literally like one red mana to do that. Yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, it was uh, something that I was like, hmm, maybe this is something I want to start incorporating, especially if the uh, meta maintains heavy red. Anyway, those were the games. Really much enjoyed it. Thanks to Zerl and uh, also Sicklist. Happy that I'm finally positive and I'm I'm hoping I can continue to take down some dubs. You know, 0-2 to (laughs) 7-2 or whatever. I forget exactly how many people in the league, but yeah, good stuff.
1: As as they say, started from the bottom. Uh, Julian, we haven't heard you talk enough yet this podcast. Um, You might have been... Missing your voice uh, specifically. So we also gave you this week's deck of the week. Yes. What did you decide to, to showcase from the community this time around?
0: I picked an Arumi of the Dead Tide list. Uh, now, this is a commander that you and I both have a little bit of experience with. We've both uh-huh. played with it, um, as well as there's actually an Arumi, like a normal uh, normal EDH uh, Arumi deck in our pod Eric plays. So we kind of know what's up, but uh, there's a few interesting things about this list. First off, I want to shout out Nate Diggy. Uh, who I realized we actually talked about last week, but uh, yeah, listen, come on, a deck is good, a deck is good. Stop being so prolific, Nate. Let other people have a chance. the The primer is excellent. It's relatively short. It's very simple and straightforward. But I just like the kind of simple elegance of it. And there's a lot of there's a lot of good insight in terms of how to play the deck in this. And also, I think this is interesting because uh, it says even in the primer, around me is the commander, and there are some synergies in this but it's not necessarily a graveyard-centric deck. It it, it wins with a combo, mm-hmm. like a lot of other uh, blue-black decks or, you know, base blue decks.
1: Yeah, as we've been uh, covering recently.
0: I really think that's interesting that so much of CPDH is so contingent on the commander, right? We've talked about how the, the uncommons are just so much more powerful than yes. literally any card in your deck, generally. right. They're very reliant on the commander. And this being a deck that isn't reliant on the commander, um, I think is interesting and, and different. I, wa- I wanted to kind of uh, highlight that. Now, that being said... We still can get crazy with Around Me, right? We have Gary in here, we have a bunch of um, Fleshbag Marauder style effects uh, also, love the Zuberas, which, if you don't know what those are, from Kamigawa, of course, so that's why they're weird. Um, Ashton Skin Zubera, when it's put into graveyard from play, target opponent discards a card for each Zubera put into a graveyard from play this turn, so obviously, if you have three, right? Yeah. And then the blue one does the same thing, but you draw a card. And they're both perfectly fine to just run out, because they're both just two mana one-twos, you can chill and block with them. Also, Impa- Impaler Strike is another crazy card that you can get off around me. When it deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it, uh, it's a, a flying three-one, um, but if you do, draw three- <laughs> <laughs> Drawing nine sounds pretty good to me. Jeez. So, yeah. But um, how are we actually going to win with this deck? We could attack. We could gary people out. But there is indeed a combo in here. And uh, I really like the way that Nate Diggity has laid it out in his, uh, in his primer. It's one combo. He says, hey, listen... There's three things, uh, three boxes we need to check in each one. There's a few, a little bit of redundancy in. So like first off, we need either a Banishing Knack or a Retraction Helix. We are doing uh Knack Helix. This is a, a known quantity in CPDH, but we're doing it in a slightly different way, which I think is nice. Then we need a creature to target, which is going to tap and untap in some way. We have a Battered Golem. Three mana doesn't untap during your untap, but whenever an artifact comes into play, you may untap it, as well as Mirren Spy. Um, also three mana, whenever you cast an artifact, you may untap target creature. Mm-hmm and Zephyr Scribe, which is also three mana. Whenever you cast a non-creature, untap Zephyr Scribe. Now, these are all cards that I have never seen used in CPDH, so I was like, oh, that's nice. That's different. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to Banishing Knack, uh, which will return something, and then we are going to cast one of our zero mana artifacts, which will trigger all three of those creatures to untap, uh, namely Tormod's Crypt, Lotus Petal, and Everflowing Chalice, which I also think are nice because you can search those off things like, you know, um, Trinket Mage. They don't... Imme- I mean, unless people know the deck, they don't immediately signal that you're going to be comboing off, right?
1: Right. Exactly. It's a little more intricate.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit... Um. It's it's more inconspicuous, which is nice. Once we have that, we've established our infinite loop, right? We have infinite ETBs and LTBs of our artifacts. How are we going to win? Uh, we can go for Night Market Lookout. If you have Mirror and Spy, uh, you can... Uh, whenever it becomes tapped, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Or... My personal favorite cabal paladin whenever you cast a historic spell we love batch keywords baby cabal paladin deals two damage to each opponent i like this iteration of a known quantity in the banishing knack or retraction helix uh thing and um also you know just cool to see other cards that we don't normally see right mm-hmm. a lot of this format is staples so you kind of you're like oh i know exactly what we're doing but this is you know a little different into that uh also we're in blue-black, so we got all the tutors, baby. Even more than, honestly, some other decks that I've seen, um, which is nice. Uh, nine tutoring effects, a lot of transmute, um, but also we've got step-through, which can get us a wizard. You're our wizard, Harry. None of our combo pieces are, but we can get trinket mage, which will get us um, our combo pieces. And there's actually a combo tutor guide in the primer. Another reason that I was so drawn to this, this primer in particular is it's like, okay, hey, we have dizzy spell. We're transmuting. We're always getting banishing knack or retraction yep. helix or Night Market Lookout, depending on what we have around. Muddle the mixture. always getting Merchant Scroll. Merchant Scroll, always getting whatever. I really like that uh, inclusion to the deck, because I think as tutoring becomes prominent, is not the thing, it's always been prominent, right? But sometimes, especially if you're learning a deck, it's nice to know, like, okay, I just, this is what I should get. And since we are running a fairly straightforward deck in terms of the combo, it's nice to know that, kind of have that guidebook. Uh, so I really like that inclusion in the Primer.
1: I think you really nailed the head on... the the nail on the head with a lot of this continuing being in the best colors for combo really because of all the tutors and then having the primer really go into like specifically what you want specifically what you're getting every time and then keeping the lines very consistent uh it it makes it a really easy to learn but probably stepping up the level of combo that we've seen in the previous decks we've already covered because as we kind of continue on this combo kick this one is a little bit more intricate than um Maybe some of the ones we've seen before, but it is like kind of leveling up in a sense too, but with a lot more redundancy and other things to do with the deck outside of the combo as well.
0: Just a few other things I wanted to note. Um, We've got Go for the Throat now, now that it's been downshifted. (laughs) So I I love seeing Go for the Throat in there. Victim of the Night is a card that I feel like I don't see as often as it should. Yes, it's double black, but destroying a non-vampire, non-werewolf, non... non I think there's one other uh, creature type on there. Um, it's just usually just always going to be a kill, so I like seeing that uh, included. Uh, something that I've been including in even, like, my EDH decks recently, just because it's usually just two-mana destroy thing. Right. Uh, also, Merkle's Edict um, is a card that I didn't know existed, <laughs> but nice. You got to have some Edicts, and, and every now and then, uh, you roll that D20, and uh, you get a, a better better option. I mean, that's pretty much it, right? It's blueback. It's got all the good shit. Yep. I will say... No academy wall in this. Nate Diggity. Academy wall. You're casting tons of instances of sorceries. This is gonna help you dig for combo pieces and also fill your grave for around me so you can get uh, a little crazy. One last interaction. Uh Arami, like I said, even though not essential for the combo, if our combo pieces do get removed, we can recur them with around me. And since we can do everything at instant speed, we can just activate her, get our stuff back, and also does give us the haste necessary uh, to actually use banishing knack and retraction helix. So Mm -hmm. some mild upside there. Anything else, Chef?
1: No, I think that about covers it. I don't think I've ever played against the CPDH version of around me, but I think it'd be super cool to especially play against a deck that doesn't focus so much on the commander and see how that works in a game politically where you kind of can in CPDH automatically assume that the commander is necessary for what you're going to do, target them. And that is a good plan. A for whatever the deck is doing, get rid of the commander and they can do it a lot less but in something like around me where it might be kind of a false flag, something for you to attack but it doesn't actually win them the game. It might be interesting to see kind of like how that plays out in the first couple games you play with new people.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some obfuscation going on if you're mm-hmm. playing in a in a new group, a new uh, a new meta. Thanks again to Nate Diggity for making a sweet deck. Deck good. Deck listen. If we talk about a bad deck on this podcast, I'm going to be upset. I think our listeners might as well.
1: I know we we talk a big game, so we, we it helps when we can back it up.
0: Well, speaking of games, poor segue, but Chev, please lead us <laughs> into our next segment.
1: <laughs> so we, uh, like we've been doing, we now uh, have a, a video of the week. This one coming to us over from the, the TryHards channel. It's a recent game published on the 15th of October. This is a CPDH game featuring Clay on Essie Tormod, Tonus Bolonis on Gretchen uh, Titchwillow, Jonathan <laughs> on Dargo Kettis, and Bisecting Fantasy, uh, a.k.a. I think Jordy on Abdel Adrian and Swordco Sailor. It was a, a really cool game to watch. It was very different than the previous video we showcased from the Possibility Storm. Uh, this one had a lot of really cool things going on. I was super excited to see an Abdel Adrian list in blue white as opposed to the, the list we've covered on the database, which is uh, white black because it's Agent of, I believe, the Shadow Throne. It's eight. Why did they both have to be Agent? agent of the whichever one he is and it has a very different approach whereas Abdel Adrian and Sword Coast Sailor is able to kind of really take advantage of blue blink effects and other things to really put out an army and Sword Coast Sailor of course gives your creature unblockable if you're swinging at the, the opponent with the mostist. so that was what I was really excited to see going in and while it did deliver so did all of the other decks Julian what were what were some of your big takeaways
0: yeah so first off just the the decks we're seeing in this pod right are nice because they're a bit of a departure from the known quantities in CPDH. Obviously, Abdel Adrian is now a known quantity, but like you said, going blue-white instead of white-black is cool. Tormod is a commander that we have not seen in a while. I remember when you and I first started getting into it, uh, we saw a bunch of different Tormod lists. Toast, I I guess is the Mm -hmm. moniker. Um, A bunch of lists kind of like that, and they seem to have fallen away a bit. Dargo Kettis is a known quantity.
1: Right, it's it's newer, it's enabling uh, Dargo in a different way. Whereas, you know, the, the Dargo Malcolm classic lists are generating treasures to sack to Dargo to get that engine online. Dargo Kedis plays, I think, every zero-cost spell it can as Kedis fodder. Uh, which is tab, mm-hmm. sacrifice three artifacts and creatures to look at the top three of your deck, put one into the graveyard. So you get that massive card advantage and a six mana reduction on Dargo plus whatever else you're doing. So it's a a way to kind of, you know, remove some of the reliability of Malcolm as an attacker and kind of really get at the heart of what Dargo is trying to do, which usually ends in combo, if not smashing face.
0: Is, uh, is this... Jonathan, is this the same person who submitted our current Dargo list? I should list? I should have checked beforehand.
1: I am not sure. They might have just been playing it. Fair uh,
0: enough. Anyway, we did discuss this list, but um, we will probably revisit it at a later time. It's a very interesting list in terms of conventional deck building. <laughs> yes. And then, I mean, and then finally, there's the Gretchen Tituol list, which, like I was saying earlier, I, I guess you can just play whatever Simic commander you want and, and just kind of do... We didn't get to see what kind of, like, the end... Win was it? it looked like it was almost trying to function similar to lay and lore, um, using the tapping and untapping. I'm assuming we generate infinite mana and then draw our deck with Gretchen. Uh, yeah, maybe capsize with buyback.
1: So, the Dargo Kedis list or Keskit list it's not Kedis,
0: Chev. <laughs> um, you wrote it wrong on the notes.
1: <laughs> I did. Uh, it's Dargo Keskit, flesh Sculptor. That list actually comes to us from
0: zurlol Dang, I knew, I knew that. I knew, I was like, I was like, Zirlol, the you're the Zirlol. That now, guy whether Zerlal
1: is Jonathan, I don't know, because uh, unless their parents named them that, the, the mystery, at least for us, is, is still out there. So if someone could kindly correct us, that'd be great as well.
0: I need to go back and listen for an Australian accent, then I'll know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was also really interested to see the S.U.R. Tormod list do its thing, because it kind of seems like the final form of Tormod, in a sense, where the Ghost of Ramiro de Pietro and Tormod was cute, in the sense where Ghost will put things into your graveyard and potentially get them back if you discard it. Thus triggering Tormod. It's a lot of mana to play for your commanders. Yes, you're in blue black, which which can let you be a little more dirtly. But it just seemed like if the engine is moving cards in and out of your graveyard, maybe focus more on Tormod and less on Ghost, which Essior does. And as we've seen in EDH with Oakley's Essior Timna build, which goes turn two Essior turn three Timna, having that sort of ward for your commander that is doing the thing can be really useful and a deterrent against using removal uh, or your opponents using removal on your board state. Because if I'm looking, I'm not thinking I have one removal spell, I'll draw a second one and be able to take them both out. I'm thinking I have one removal spell. Essior isn't worth it at that point. What other commander is? Uh, and so it kind of gives Tormod a little more room to kind of do their thing, which I think can be really powerful.
0: It might be interesting to see if we just get more and more of these partner builds because SEO Esior- That protection for such a cheap creature is just so potent, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Tormod is a real freaking threat on its own. So being able to give it extra protection, uh, for sure, for sure. I want to discuss the Abdel list briefly because it did not win, but it was Mm kind of going off. And it was like just the right amount of productive Dirtle for me. This one focused mainly on playing all sorts of like artifacts and stuff that have ETBs. There's a ton of kind of like trinkets, right, that are like Mm -hmm. one or two mana. The ETB draw card and then they're easy fodder for uh, putting under Abdel when they come in, right? So you make a ton of soldiers. I believe the first sol- the first soldiers created was there was like four, and then I don't think there was like ever less than eight, uh, frankly. <laughs> um, yeah, and like you said, you can now get a blue blink, and blinking Abdel gives you multiple triggers because Abdel leaves, all your things come back, they all have ETBs, they trigger, Abdel comes back, you just put them all under, and you make a ton more soldiers.
1: Yeah, we, I think we saw it largely, uh, it was kind of funny because between that and then the Dargo Keskit list, we saw a ton of the ETBs on artifacts. Abdel's felt a little nicer. I think there's that one um, Mana Rock that deals one damage to an opponent on entry. I think it's Hierophant's Cup. And I, I think maybe something else drew a card when, when he's bringing mm-hmm. it in. But Keskit yeah. also had a bunch of those new Baldur's Gate, kind of in the, the spirit of Myrrh Wellspring is what I'm thinking of. The like, two-mana search for a, a basic when it enters and leaves? No, it's,
0: yeah, Microsynth. Microsynth Wellspring.
1: Microsynth Wellspring. Is it? Yeah. That doesn't sound right. It is. All right. I'm going to check you on that real quick. I'm going to call in my challenge.
0: I'm going to phone a friend. I'm going to ask the audience. Wellspring.
1: It is Microsynth Wellspring and Ikor Icor Wellspring is what I'm thinking mm. of. So mm-hmm. points to Julian, but... You know these two mana artifacts that have an ETB and LTB, and we got a couple more in I think uh, Baldur's Gate and maybe AFR. But the the Kesket list had the one that you know enters and leaves make a uh, construct, enters and leaves make a treasure, uh, and so they mm. were kind of doing similar things uh, only once because they all get sacked to the Almighty Dargo and Kesket. But seeing Abdel, yeah, it was it was just the right amount of Dirtle for you come in. I think they floated mana between one of the blinks, too, which is, you know, if you're blinking rocks, they they don't have summoning sickness, so you can kind of get a little dirty with it. It's cute. And then, of course, the one thing to point out with Abdel, and, and it was brought up on the episode as well, was killing Abdel with the, I think, the exile trigger on the stack to yes. remove the blink at all uh, so you don't they don't generate the creatures even if Abdel dies. So that's something to keep in mind when you inevitably end up across the table.
0: So, Chev, um, before we move on to the inevitable conclusion of the uh, of the game, I know remember that you were very hyped on the Abdel list when we first discussed it um, on our first episode, actually, uh, the black-white list. How do you think that stacks up against this blue-white list? Do you have a preferred strategy? Do you have a strategy that you think is going to be more optimal?
1: Yeah. I would love to see them kind of, um, if we could get a fully Abdel pod together, find whatever what other uh, enchantments work in the other colors. But without kind of seeing them directly go head-to-head, I still have to lean towards the uh, Abdel Iron Throne list that we have in the database. While I do like the flickering and the ability to kind of have more redundancy for combos in the white-blue list. Uh, That's not what what we saw from the list uh, when it was being played. It it really just capitalized on Blink and made a a ton of 1-1s to overwhelm. Um, I really like what the Agent of the Iron Throne does, which is whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent loses one life, which I think does a little better than the uh, Sword Coast, when it comes to what Abdel is really trying to do, right? Because Sword Coast Sailor can make one creature, uh, specifically your commander, unblockable. And while that's cool, uh, Abdel is kind of at home in this flicker loop. Uh, even even though the, the deck we have isn't uh, specifically combo list, it does have the pieces to, to do it for the infinite ETB-LTB, which with Agent of the Iron Throne, whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard, each opponent loses one life. So... Not only are we making the 1-1s, one but we're kind of dealing damage outside of combat and we never really need Abdel Adrian to connect. And then we do get the more um, painful black ETBs like Gary or Fleshbag, Burglar Rat, all these things that kind of make it a little bit more of a a problem on your opponent while also dealing damage with the the Throne. So I think without being fully, fully informed, I have to go um, Iron Throne.
0: That's fair enough. I think you're right. Yeah, both both decks are definitely mid-rangey right we're we're yep. just trying to generate value uh you some might say that we're dirtling a little bit uh but yes i, th- I think you're right i think the inevitability of the black white list especially since it does have that combo in there um which th- there may be a combo in the blue white list but we just like you said we didn't get to see it uh yeah i, I agree with you that black white list is that shit was scary when we talked about it <laughs> but anyway abdel did not take it down it was actually the dargo and keskit uh list chev what happened on that fateful final turn
1: well it, it was a tale as old as time a rogue thermopod and a a very sacrifice happy dargo kind of took the game the thermopod dargo line of course being that like whenever you sack dargo to thermopod and net a red uh you also reduce dargo's cost by two because another thing has been sacrificed and then you can just recast dargo infinite number of times infinite etbs pick your favorite poison it ended in a relatively spectacular fashion because i don't think i've ever seen a thermopod actually successfully cast and resolve
0: yeah normally people don't like thermopod they know that you're up to no good i will say it ended in even more uh, spectacular fashion because uh, like you said normally we're just doing infinite etbs and ltbs uh people might think of something like an impact tremors Mm -hmm. but uh no no no. Uh, we were actually just going for the infinite casts we finished with a grape shot Oh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen <laughs> should have called which that was out. yeah that was not something that i have ever storm seen. storm ending yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i also got to say that thermopod was tutored by a transmuted brain spoil and you know what i just love to see it i love to see it
1: <laughs> that's these are the hopes that and, and dreams that games are made from
0: crazy game all the decks were super cool they played excellent and uh we hope they keep putting out high quality content
1: indeed so if you're listening clay um keep putting out high quality content
0: yeah and update your killing list dang it
1: all right we've burned enough bridges
0: for one episode well listen we know that i'm i'm here to now that's my job is i have to start beef with everyone
1: i i don't know if i condone that i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm willing to accept that as our all formats of the common rarity and whoever julian decides to to fight this week it's not even that big of a community yet so like we're gonna have to redo some some fights pretty pretty soon
0: That's fair enough. That's fair enough. That'll be, that'll, we'll just work that. That'll be part of the weekly segment. Like, who are we, who are we fighting today? Each season. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Chev, you'll have to put out, like, you'll have to put, like, the disclaimer, like, these, these beefs do not represent the, uh, the, the the extended of the the, uh, LLC. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Good lord. Good lord.
1: All right. It's time for Julian to go to bed.
0: I am a little tired. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Wait a minute. That's after dark. Shut up. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, This has been House of Commons, your one-stop shop for all things competitive and at the common rarity. Chev. See ya.